0: Welcome to Insights for Manufacturing, a podcast that supports the UK manufacturing sector, hosted by Jeff Beecham, the manufacturer's recruiter. Hello and welcome to Insights for Manufacturing. I'm delighted to welcome my special guest today, Rowan Crozier, MBE, who is the CEO at C Brandauer & Co, and also chair of the National Advisory Board at Make UK. Welcome to the show, Rowan. Nice to have you on.
1: Thank you, Jeff. Pleasure to be here.
0: Good. So we've been connected on LinkedIn for quite some time. I, I do sort of follow your regular posts, uh, predominantly either about sort of uh, the successes at C Brand Hour or general manufacturing things. Um, but we got the chance to meet briefly at the Meet the Toolmaker event over in Telford last year. And from that, I, I got a strong sense of your, your passion really around STEM. And that's really, I think, a good place to start this discussion. So in your opinion, you know why why is STEM so important to the future of, of of UK manufacturing, Rowan?
1: Well, I think there's a there's a myth that's going around that um, amongst parents and uh, I suppose young children, as a result of their influences by, from from their parents, that that STEM is not necessarily a great choice for a career. It it, it, it couldn't be more wrong. Mm. Manufacturing is alive and kicking uh, in the UK. Particularly advanced manufacturing. Um, And manufacturers have good good manufacturers, have are great employers, profitable, well-invested businesses, and employ lots and lots of people. Um, And some of the best leaders and technologists and engineers in these businesses have come through an apprenticeship route um, into and found themselves manufacturing the stuff that makes makes a big difference and they're the leaders of the future they're the business people of the future as well well sadly or um perhaps in stark contrast to some of those rumors um you know some of the best business leaders we have are engineers i've come through the stem um uh education
0: so how do we get more you know more of a you know a strong pipeline of know stem talent in into manufacturing i I know you sort of mentioned the parents schools and it's sort of been a it's been off the radar for for quite a long time hasn't it but you know of of more recent years there has been a bit of an upturn in you know the 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 sort of reputation and i I suppose the the picture that manufacturing sends out to you know schools youngsters and, and parents you know the industry. Had a bit of an outdated image, I think it would be fair to say. But as you say, with advanced manufacturing and a lot of the technology that's been coming on online over the last sort of ten or twenty years, it's a totally different landscape, isn't it? Manufacturing. So, how do we get more uh, youngsters into into STEM subjects with a with half an eye on a you know perhaps a, a career in in manufacturing or technology?
1: Um, I don't think there's a single sort of platinum bullet answer to that question at all yeah. i think it's got to come from every level um i do think um the reputation or the image is on the up yep um and i think that's got to be recognised and promoted by all and what do i mean by all i mean by government i mean by the engineering and manufacturing employers by the training and skills establishments that that, that support that journey and schools um, and parents and, and, and there's no, yeah. that has got to be pushed from every level. I think so the first, that's sort of the first point, it needs to be recognized and not just from old people like me, it's gotta come from all the youngsters that have come through it and the beneficiaries of it as well. Yeah. I try and push that in my business and get my guys engaged um, at different sort of uh, career events and things like that. So they're sharing their experiences. It's more relatable for youngsters to hear it from people that aren't quite as old as, as their parents or grandparents. Yes. And that's really quite important. Um, and then I suppose the next thing is tasters. Kids need to have tasters. Dare I say it, it needs to be on their curriculum from mm. the very youngest levels. And we're not there yet. Primary school kids need to be making things, need to be seeing how broken things can be fixed, getting away and recognizing that we're not a throwaway culture. We yeah. want to recycle stuff. Things can be repaired. Things can be reused and repurposed for the better or for the gain. And, and they'll only get to know that at a young age by something that's relatable. Um, so I think that's a really important part of it and giving them, creating those opportunities, either at school or by industry or, or preferably, um both I think
0: yeah absolutely and and there are some some fantastic facilities around you touched on the the sort of further education the you know the sort of training academies and, and apprenticeship providers and things like that um I know you, you you wanted to 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 talk about the the tooling academy as well which was a um it was launched as a sort of collaboration if you like between c brand hour and Incom training wasn't it do you, want to, do you yeah. want to just tell us a little bit about that and how it sort of developed
1: yeah of course so i've been at brand hour 13 years and when i first came the average age in the business was uh 58 um wow. we're now at an average age of 42 um and the reason why that's come down is we've attracted more youngsters into our business and hung on to them through their whole sort of um, educational life cycle. And indeed, a lot of them are still going through that. Um, And that starts for us with trying to encourage, usually, usually 16 year olds out of finishing their GCSEs into an apprenticeship journey. Yeah. that we use two providers for that. One is Incom who do the majority and the other is Make UK at the Aston Science Hub. Both of them are training providers, technical training providers, and they'll do apprenticeships, technical apprenticeships that can last anywhere between uh, two years and and four years, very roughly speaking. Yep. Um, And uh, that's really helped to deliver where we are today. Coming back to your question about the the sort of tooling academy that we launched. uh, About three years ago, we saw a huge influx in demand for the types of high-speed press work tooling we are um, capable of designing, manufacturing, and assembling. And we needed more capacity. So I had this harebrained idea that we would create that capacity by opening a second facility that that was capable of delivering that tooling. Yeah. But in parallel, we wrote, we wanted to write a syllabus to upskill qualified engineers who'd come preferably through the apprenticeship route or the degree route to be fair yeah um and, and and that syllabus would upskill them from a base level of engineering to being what we see as a a, a um a proficient early stage toolmaker we call them improving yeah and, it. Yep. and hey that's where the academy was born i spoke to gareth jones um and becky phillips the the owners of of Incom and sort of pitched this crazy idea to them and said, we need some space, we want to open a tool room, but I want to do it here, right inside your facility, underutilised, I was quite brutal, if I'm honest, (laughs) underutilised, we can use all this capacity. The bonus is you've got a a manufacturer and a partnership under your roof. You've got a high-end tool room utilising both your equipment and mine creating revenue and, 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 and growth for the, for the Midlands and we'll jointly write this syllabus that you can commercially sell to your clients to upskill engineers to be proficient tool makers. Yeah. And the rest is history. As they say, we, we very quickly drafted the syllabus. We signed a partnership agreement. We moved in about two months later. Yeah. We made uh, about fifteen. High speed progression tools in the first year of trading. We then opened the academy up. And our first client through there was Jaguar Land Rover, who took a cohort right. of six, six um engineers through. Um, and they came out the other side um through that pilot scheme. Certainly a lot better in terms of tool making than they went in. Yeah. Um, and we're now we've now attracted West Midlands combined authority funding to allow to offer that out um hugely subsidized to smes so not just the big oems that can benefit but smes i i i want to just repeat it's not for apprenticeship training it dovetails into that and it's advanced training for people that have completed and done well at an apprenticeship preferably had a couple of three years on the tools before then coming to this and upskilling what they do to be be you know top of their game I suppose that's the plan yeah. that's yeah. what
0: we're doing well it's fantastic to see because I, I, I suppose in the 25 years I've been recruiting or nearly 25 years I've been recruiting in manufacturing there's always been a drought of of tool makers you know it, it, they, they're almost like a you know I, I thought at one point when I was early on into the industry uh, they, they were going to be extinct uh while I was still working and and I, I'm just so happy to see a huge turnaround in that sort of trend, you know. I, I can remember trying to fill, you know, a couple of toolmaker roles, uh, you know, back uh, well, as I, I started just at the end of the last millennium, you know, that's so, how so long I've been in the in the game. And um, you know, most of the toolmakers were they they were, you know, sort of 40, 50, 60. i, can't, I can remember a, a temporary toolmaker we we used to um put into a contract every time I think it was um might have even been it was a contract um for door latches i think automotive applications and the the business that we were supplying always used to uh ask for this guy and he'd retired he'd retired quite a few years ago so he must yeah. have been knocking 70 um when i when i first came across him and and every sort of year or every sort of six months or however long it was they had a project come up they would always ask for this guy and I think in the end, after a few years, he he sort of did hang his boots up. But you know, um, mm-hmm. it was just indicative of that time. You know, most most factories with a tool room um, were you know they were always looking for tool makers and they just weren't any. There were hardly any out on the market. But at least now, over the last few years, um, we've been seeing people coming into the industry and learning. You, you know, learning that that technical capability. Yeah. um from the ground up so hopefully what you've done with you know within income will we'll sort of give some further impetus to other parts of industry to you know maybe do a, a similar thing where you've got that mix of a manufacturing business and a training provider it, it, as you say it dovetails in nicely it's just it, it's just a win-win for everybody so, it, it, um,
1: it is it is and I, I, I think what you've said there and described the market hasn't changed massively in terms of you know, availability of toolmakers certainly of a particular demographic. Yeah. There's plenty at the start of their career, and there's plenty at the end of their career. If you want to put it like that politely, yeah. in the middle, there's this abyss of yeah. of of uh, you know a lack of investment from sort of the previous sort of ten or twenty years, really. And what yeah. we're trying to do is to fast track the front end to sort of fill that skills gap in the middle yeah um, that's why we did it <clears throat> at the back end you know we're still getting guys that are working here and they, they we, we we have to be really flexible about how we pay them what hours they do yeah what we involve them with ensuring they're contracted to pass on their knowledge as well is quite important so that they're training the new ones coming through as well we yeah. still do that now that's been going on for the last sort of five six seven eight maybe even ten years yeah. We're still in, we still recruit a lot of people between the ages of 55 and 70 in those roles and they stay and they love it uh, because they're working on top end tooling. Yeah, But it's so important that we have a, a that three plan that's bringing in the youngsters, making sure the guys that are, are most experienced are passing on their knowledge and stay with us as long as possible yeah. and then have some sort of plan that fills that middle gap.
0: Knowledge transfer, I love that i mean it's a, it's a gold mine isn 't it? you know so many people are retiring every year and and taking a vast amount of knowledge with them and if we 're not absolutely draining all of that into into the next generation it's it 's just a a valuable mm-hmm. resource that that just just vanishes so uh yeah, yeah, great to hear you doing that okay um can you Can you tell me a little bit more about the design and make challenge? I know we spoke about it briefly when I when I saw you at the Meet the Toolmaker event, but um, for for our audience, can you can you explain what it is, who it's for, and, and what the objectives are?
1: Yeah, so it sort of goes back to the the sort of opening um, spiel that I gave earlier on uh, around attracting youngsters at the right age and promoting manufacturing as a a real live um, and a. a, a, a a real career choice. Yeah. And we do that by giving them um hands-on experience of engineering and manufacturing in its purest form. So it was um it was the brainchild of uh, a network that we've been members of for uh, gosh, 14-15 years now called the Manufacturing Assembly Network or MAN Group. Yep. Um and uh there was a, a couple of guys in there that sort of thought we should as a as a as a conglomerate of of manufacturers of which there's only 10 members in the group why don't we work together to come up with something that promotes manufacturing as a career yeah and and the design and make day was born um it has evolved but essentially we invite because the manufacturing assembly network is all midlands based members very broadly yeah we do stretch that a bit we go down as far south as um uh just north of luton and we go as far north as uh um where are we um up into staffordshire okay and far, we go as far west as hereford and as far east as leicester um but what we try and do is is we have a one-day event and every member invites as many schools as possible in their catchment yep um to come along, we fund it. it there's no charge to the school. All they've got to do is put a team of uh, up to five together from the school, along with a teacher that has to host them. Yep. And they come along for the day. We get as many schools involved. It's usually hosted by an academic establishment. Um, in previous years, it's been Warwick Manufacturing Group. Okay. Yeah. So they can see the academic sort of facilities around and support around manufacturing. And then they come along. Um, And uh, it started off with just six schools when we first did it six years ago. Uh, We had a very difficult uptake. It was challenging to engage with the schools, get them to commit, and then get them to turn up. Yeah. Six schools turn up, and essentially that day, everyone is given a blind brief, the same blind brief. So there's this challenge. So, I don't know, we want you to carry this weight across this distance as fast as possible. There's a box of bits balsa wood sellotape glue some tools bits and pieces go away make you know come up with a design and then make it and then you'll test it on this track or off this firing iron or whatever it is they've got yeah. to match yeah. they test it once then they get they see it all fails goes dismally wrong they refine the design remake it retest yeah. it and then they go into the afternoon session having got their refined Triple tested design if they've got through three or four cycles of development and they compete against each other for the best manufacturing solution, the most innovative solution and the one that that hits the brief actually goes the furthest distance or whatever that is. And then there's three prizes, one for each of those and, and one of the schools gets that. We throw in the mix, a teacher's challenge. So they have to compete. We put three teachers from different schools together or maybe two or three teams of teachers. So they're competing with the pupils as well, which is really interesting. They've never won, which is great. (laughs) They've never won. Um, And then we might even throw some of the man group members in as a team as well to have a go at at competing with it. We're we're several challenges in now, having (laughs) launched projectiles, We've carried weights across precipices. We've done cars and trains along tracks and other things, but we've grown the event. We're up to probably this year. We might get up to thirty schools. Wow! Um, which is from from yeah. those sort of beginnings of just six, and w- once they're in, the schools come back again and again and again yeah. because the prizes we've given away three D printing machines and you know the sponsorships okay. going up with it. So we're getting people engaging with that as well to sponsor and give away some really fancy prizes, which go back to the schools for use in lessons and that sort of stuff. So it's working well and it's getting to a point where it's a bit of a beast for a small network to actually develop (laughs) and and deliver. So we quite like it and we think it's very scalable and we really would like to take it nationally with the right backing. And actually, it's a, it's a great model, and there's not there are one or two people out there doing similar things, but hey, that's that's what it is. Hopefully, it brings more people into yeah. a, a STEM career.
0: The more people talking about it and getting involved, the better. Um, but well, that, that's absolutely fantastic the way that's grown, and uh, I'd, I'd really I'd love to be a fly on the wall watching the the teachers squirm around trying to uh, you know trying to come up with the best solution. But the kids absolutely love it, don't they?
1: Yeah, they do. They do. They absolutely do. And you're very welcome to come along to the next one in July if you wanted to and uh, meet some people. No be problem at happy all. The more we share it with the better.
0: Yeah, I'd be more than happy to. Thanks for shedding some light on the on that challenge. Just in terms of brand hour, then, brand hour & Co. Wow. Now, I'm, I'm not a Brummy by birth. I, I grew up in, in Bristol, but I, I've lived here since uh, 1997. Uh, I married a, a Brummy, so I'm sort of Part brummy by marriage oh, i 've got such a fondness for for Birmingham and the West Midlands. Brandau has always been one of those companies that that crops up in conversation when you think of manufacturing when you think of you know the sort of history of 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 industry around these parts Carl chinn. Who was on on my show uh, last year or the or the year before? You know, uh, always seems to recognise and mention Brandauer um, as as one of the you know one of those uh, sort of standout companies from the Midlands and, and Birmingham in particular. You know, one of the oldest businesses from this region. I, I think you were founded was it 162 years ago, 1862. I mean, th- there can't be many businesses around these days that, that, that survive sort of 50 years, you know, let, let alone hundreds of years. So, yeah. you know, what, what's the secret of the the longevity of, of C Brando? I mean, that, that you know, we've had so many changes in society, in the world, in, in Birmingham, in manufacturing over that time. Um, you know, what, what, what's kept it going that long? And, and, and also to add to that, let me, let me add to that question. Um from your leadership perspective, what, what what was significant the most, do you think, in, in terms of what you did personally as a leader during that sort of crisis management of the of the pandemic? Hmm.
1: Wow, that's some big questions there. So just <laughs> let me deal with them one by one. So Carl Chin, first of all, is my favourite historian. If he talks about us, he's doing something right. So yes. that's true. Um, Brandauer have been... Well, i'm sat in in newtown in birmingham right on the edge of the jewelry quarter and city center it's basically where we were founded we were about 300 meters behind me here is where the original factory was yeah our heritage is here um and we are absolutely in the heartland of of what i would call fine precision pressing work uh fine metal work being being involved in um, sorry, being a, a, a based geographically in the jewelry quarter. And there's still a lot of that cottage industry that goes on. Yep. Our difference is we do it in much higher volume, um, generally to consume consumer markets. Um, the business set out making pen nibs. And that's why Carl talks formally about it. That's all they did. Yeah. And they survived on that from eighteen sixty-two through till sort of nineteen fifties ish. Um one interruption, uh sorry, two interruptions were two world wars. Yep. Um, where they were drafted out, seconded to manufacture for the war effort. Yeah. Um I think what they learnt from that was that they can diversify and they okay. can apply their knowledge and capability to other markets. And that's exactly what the business did from the mid-1950s all the way through to today. Okay. I can't take I might look at, but I can only take the benefit for the last 13 years. Yeah. I've only been here 13 years. But what what we do as a business is, is a keep it safe. We want the business to be safe. So we try and make um as lower risk decisions as we possibly can to better mm. the business, if that makes sense. Yeah, and broadly that's built on being diverse, and and diversity comes in many forms um, in terms of business, and that is geographically diverse. So we want to be to supplying as many different countries as we possibly can. Yeah, sectorally diverse, so supplying into as many markets as we can so at the moment i've got 10 what i would call more than five percent so that you know healthcare automotive uh, electronics white goods um telecoms and and so on and so forth i won't yep. know anymore but it's having all of those sexual presence and then the other way of being diverse is in the way you create revenue um and i suppose this is more recent um a, a, a revelation for us i suppose So you see us as a a manufacturer of metal bits. Well, that goes back a few steps. We need the knowledge to know how to best manufacture them. We need to have the ability to manufacture progression tooling, uh, design, manufacture, progression tooling, that therefore means I can put it in a press, put material through it, which I need to know the supply chain to enable me to do that. Then I make the metal bits. So we we took a a long hard look at ourselves um during the pandemic and really really knuckled down on on understanding built on the ground rules of diversity of sector and ge- geography mm. look at our revenue streams and actually see where we can make the biggest impact and the, therefore the the, the the better margins yeah so the business today is now involved in a lot more things than we used to be we're actually getting paid for our knowledge we're helping customers develop new processes new designs that they potentially want to do in-house they haven't necessarily got the full knowledge and background in how to do it so rather than give that knowledge away we're working in partnership And that manifests itself in all sorts of different ways. But essentially, it's a consultancy or an advisory arm of the business. That's working really well. We still manufacture tooling, but I've already discussed how we do that differently now. Um, And we control our tooling better. We specify before we start. We have a a menu of tooling that customers pick from. So they make their own choice over what quality of tooling they go for, where it's made, and how we make it. Um, And then invariably because of the stuff that we do is quite advanced, the easy stuff goes to the customers. Once we've done all of that bit, the hardest stuff stays here because they're yeah. not up to that. So that's yeah. the last bit of it. And we, we actually then stamp the product for them, the more difficult product. Um, and I suppose that's the core difference. We, we've recognized what our strengths are. We've avidly tried to improve how we deliver those strengths yeah. and make sure that there's a business case that we can actually benefit from in delivering them all of those things we didn't do that well, um and that's bolstered all sorts of stuff's come out of that r d but all of it is around diversifying innovation um and trying to pivot into into new markets new industries with some new offerings that's why that's why we're here today and that fundamentally is successful because of the team i've got around me you know i'll come back to your second question how have i made that happen that's by employing 60 people who are bloody brilliant um and and a lot better than me um and 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 that's fundamental as well so engaging all the youngsters that we've already talked about bringing them into the business giving them access to some of the projects we're working on giving them the opportunity to contribute to that and do something suggest something different taking some low risks by working on R and D projects, which are funded by Innovate UK, so that yeah. reduces the risk financially on us. That's that's got us into all new customer bases, opportunities to supply different markets, different industries with different products. So people are the key. Wow. Well,
0: I mean, there, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of great stuff that's just come out of what you've what you just said. That I think you know maybe there must be a lot of other businesses that you know manufacture things but aren't maybe leveraging that sort of skill knowledge and expertise that they've got you know what what you've done in effect in addition to that diversification piece that that is so key you found a way of monetizing your your secret source if you like you know your 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 skills your your technical prowess and so you're not just a manufacturing business. You've got all of these add-on services, if you like, and it all sort of feeds. It's almost like a circular. People go on about the circular economy, don't they? Well, this is it almost is. like, you know, it, it just feeds back into your business, doesn't it? The consultancy. Yeah. And- I mean,
1: the successful markets, you know, some of these um, new business models that happen. Um, that are, I'm just trying to think of some, whether it's eBay or... Um, whether it's um, uber yeah if you notice one of the core things that they do is they the the client actually picks the level of luxury or the level what they want you know it's it's, it's picking from a set of ingredients that then creates a price that you're going to pay yeah and that's something fundamentally that i don't think necessarily that that in manufacturing people can do Mm. Very easily, and what we've tried to do is to enable them to do that. If you want a tool made in China because it's twenty thousand pounds instead of me making it for forty thousand pounds, that's fine. But if you want me to run it and I'm going to charge you more because that tool will come in, it will not be as good as the tool I make. I'll be doing more maintenance on it. I will be letting you down more regularly because that tools out the press more than it is in the press, yeah. So there's, there's there's you know a little bit more investment up front gives you a lower piece price for the lifetime of the product. Yeah, and, and it's it's getting that story across. You very did often not get that, but if you build it into your feasibility model, which we now do, mm. or pick the journey they want to take, and if they take the wrong one and they pay dearly for it, that's up to them, isn't it? Yeah, um, absolutely. And maybe it is the right journey for them. Maybe they don't want to spend a lot up front because they haven't got the budget. Yeah. Legally they're going to pay a premium in one way or another as they move forward, whether it's with supply chain disruption, all the things associated with a long supply chain. Yeah. Um it, 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 it's inevitable. So we know per, per part supplied, if you include the tooling cost that for us to make that tool, we are more competitive than the Far East. And I can prove it. I've got contracts won in the last six months in China, in India. Um and in um mexico so i think customers are beginning to get it yeah um, I, I, it's the landed project or lifetime cost that needs to be considered not a snapshot of a decision i can get a tool for half the price elsewhere yeah
0: well that that's a fantastic advert isn't it for you know reshoring and, and getting more stuff made here in the uk isn't it you know that over many years i'd always heard this this sort of notion that you know it's cheaper to get stuff manufactured abroad and you know a lot of the a lot of the tooling went abroad you know decades ago and it's like well how do you compete well you've just proven that you can it it is happening here in the uk so with all this big push for reshoring and um you know making making more stuff here yes some things might be a little bit more expensive at the front end but over the over the longer term um and this is where the fds and cfos need to need to be listening in it is financially viable and possible and you know a, a, a very good option to consider getting more stuff made here in the uk so uh yeah well well done you and, and thanks for explaining that it's, it's really important um yeah. Okay, so in terms of so in, innovation, you know, typically leads to growth. As you say, Brandauer have sort of diversified. You've continued to grow uh, as an organization. How have you sort of kept pace with with yeah, in terms of technology? So the demands that are constantly on a modern, modern manufacturing um, plant or, or process. How have you how have you kept pace with with, with technology? I mean, are, are you doing anything dramatically different than you were, say? 20 years ago you know in terms of um you know the plant and equipment that you're using you know how, how much digitalization have you you know sort of instigated at, at brand hour? can you just give us an idea as to you know how how you've sort of moved along that sort of path rowan
1: oh uh, yeah yeah i mean we've moved on massively when i sit and consider it um in the cold light day Mm. we we are now a paperless factory broadly speaking i mean we still do print drawings off to look at certain things you need to there's nothing like a hard copy drawing sometimes when you're trying to resolve an engineering issue however that said all of our works orders all of our ticketing all everything now is paperless essentially in the factory yeah um in addition to that um we've got different different types of presses so different technologies that we brought into the business that are suited to different types of jobs whereas yep. we were very much that's the press we use we're always going to use that for everything we quote oh sorry everything we run um and then in terms of how we monitor our performance so in terms of oee or efficiencies yeah um in terms of breakdowns <clears throat> in terms of maintenance issues all of that we've now gone digital with as well okay. um, so we've embraced quite a lot in terms of both sort of ancillary technology as well as the core technology we've got it it has all changed how and why um i suppose it's the the, the, the constant demands of being more profitable as yeah. well as being more competitive um that's that's the market pull really um and and the other thing is just the constant hunger, really, to always want to do stuff better. That's in that's in our DNA. That's in our culture, and that's something that we've we've driven, um, we've driven for as as a result of that. Yeah. Um, how how have we gone about it? That's a bit. That's a little bit different. I think there's two core activities that have really helped us accelerate um, our adoption and investment in digital technology um the the first one is working collaboratively yeah and and we've talked about collaborations already a little bit but whether it be man group who I've already mentioned or whether it be through make UK or whether it be through um uh you know a, a supply chain partner I make it my business to go around as many people's factories as I possibly can, because that's where all the best ideas are. That's where all the best, you know, make it a good advanced manufacturer. You'll find stuff that people are doing really well. You might find stuff they're not doing so well as well and you avoid it. Um, But it's nice to share and learn. And and I think one thing I am happy to say is there's definite culture of of collaboration in manufacturing and it's, it's getting stronger. Yeah. Um, And I think, even more recently, the sort the last two or three years, I've been privileged to go around my competitors' factories, and I've invited them back to mine. And yeah. it's amazing. We're not really competitors. We do. We're always in slightly different markets. There's certain occasions when we do compete, but you respect that, and that's yeah. important to have that bit a bit of competition there. But going to their factory, seeing what they're doing, you know, understanding what your 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 competition are doing has been a revelation for me because again yeah. they're doing some stuff really well they're doing some stuff not so well and some stuff i don't really want to do anyway yes understanding each other you you hopefully tread on your toes less and will all get better so that whole collaborative thing has really pushed me to and the company to to to, to look at different things and different stuff that people are having successes with and, and try and yeah. embrace it ourselves. the second strand is around funding grant support as an sme okay. we we want to take as little financial risk as we can so any grant support that enables us to do r d or investment in stuff perhaps we we might struggle to if if it wasn't there mm-hmm. um and there's some game change funding out there which i would recommend to you know smes and medium-sized businesses innovate uk and all of their arms are absolutely fantastic they might seem daunting they absolutely take the risk out of trying out new things and usually it's a two or three year project yeah it it partially pays for one of your more expensive costs in the business sort of somewhere between 50 and 70 percent of the cost as well for stuff you perhaps want to do anyway yeah but you're getting that as you know you're getting that as a a give back whether it's successful or not so that's really good the other one i gotta mention is made smarter so that was a okay. pilot that we were a beneficiary of in the pilot stages it's going national there's a lot of rumblings about it's it's not that good or, or it's it's too difficult to access mm. rubbish pick the project you think will make the biggest impact from all yeah. the other work you're doing yeah. and then go to make made smarter and ask them to help you and they will they'll they'll, they'll help you through that journey not just in monetary terms because they will yeah. they will help you in terms of knowledge and um, resource to help you deliver it. It's it's a really good thing. So you need the passion to do it. You need to go and copy lots of other people and see what they're doing and what you can learn from. And then you can go out and find the funding to do it and then get on and do it.
0: Putting it like that, it sounds very, very simple, but you know, again, uh, a shining example of what, what can be achieved. I, I, I love the fact that you've, you've gone out around the, the competitor uh, factories and, and, enable the reciprocation of that Uh, and i suppose in a lot of industries that's almost a bit of a taboo isn't it but i I suppose it helps you uh get to that best practice point you know i I suppose you're always looking for improvements as a business anyway in fact i know you are but that that sort of collaboration and and sort of mixing with elements of the of the competition and there's always going to be a bit of crossover isn't there even if they're not direct competitors um, but it's just a bit of an eye opener, isn't it? In terms of uh, you know maybe some of the things for you to stay away from, um, impart a bit of knowledge to uh, an, another business, and that pays dividends because people like helping other people, don't they? So if you're you know be, you well, know s- seem to support another business in a, in a small way, then that that might yeah, pay back. back.
1: And a lot of people poo poo it because they, you, you know, people have trade secrets. Well, don't share yes. them. Learn to yourself. They're the ones to protect and protect avidly. Yeah. But the, the 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 other stuff you can. And and I am a firm believer that you get out of industry what you put into it. Absolutely. It's the same with apprentices. What? Uh, why would I take on an apprentice when I only have a twenty five percent conversion rate? I get that question a lot, and it's like, well, what if you didn't? What if you yeah. actually fixed your conversion rate and looked after them properly and you got it up to 75%? Yeah. And even if you do lose them, they're going off to benefit somebody else who might be a customer or they might come back to you in 10 years' time and be your next, you know, FD or, or, or ops director or whatever. I think you've got to have a much bigger picture for the greater good of the sector yes. than necessarily look at it to, you know, down a lens like that.
0: Yeah. No, you're absolutely right, and I love that. And and when you think of it, you know, any business that that takes on an apprentice, regardless of how long that they're with your business, through your company investing in that person, you've made a difference to that individual, haven't you? You've 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 got that individual started off in a in a manufacturing yep. career, and mm-hmm. you know, hopefully, they will go on and have a you know a great career, uh, you know, families, and then they can support their kids and all the rest of it, and. It, it's almost like you're you're a provider of some of the building blocks of society so it's not just yeah. you know people need to stop thinking so um in in such a binary way you know it's it, there's there's a much much bigger picture so that i think you know you got corporate social responsibility and all these sort of things you know and i i know you you sort of support a few things in the in the local community um but when when you're when you're putting people through apprenticeships it's that's a long-term thing hopefully it's sort of life lifetime skills that they're learning whether they stay with you for their career or not um it's a good thing isn't it you know and everybody should get involved really
1: yeah yeah for sure
0: okay so we've we've covered quite a lot of ground so far there's a couple of things i just wanted to have a, a quick chat with you about um one of them is your role as chair of the national advisory board at make uk so can, can help me understand that a little bit more. What 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 is your remit there, and and what are the you know what sort of main challenges are you seeing from that role that
1: manufacturers need support with, Rowan? Ah, uh, oh, the list is never ending. Um, <laughs> uh, um, so Make UK are a, a national membership body for people who make stuff. Yep. So, uh, very focused on engineering and manufacturing. I've touched on the fact that they offer training provision and they have a fantastic training hub um over in Aston in Birmingham they do uh, where you can do apprenticeships and stuff like that technical apprenticeships but i would say that's very much secondary and I, I, that's all i thought they did if i'm honest um until more recently when you know this this power of collaboration um really came to to the front during mm. the pandemic and there was there were one or two partners or, or, you know, membership um, bodies that really had an impact and helped us through what was a really challenging time. Yeah, the one was the CBM, Confederation of British Metal Forming. Yep. And I say that they're much smaller than Mate UK, but they're very focused on our, what we do. Yeah, And um, another was Mate UK. And Mate UK are very good at lobbying for the greater good of manufacturers, yeah, yeah, I mean, they came very much to the front of that. As I say, during the pandemic, trying to tailor policy at very short notice to respond to what was going on in the in the world. None of us knew what was happening, yeah. and what to do, and what was right or what was wrong. But, but they had a fundamental high impact success rate on lobbying government for what manufacturing needed, yeah. and I respect him for that really. So. I, I got involved really I got invited as a member to go on to their advisory board just as a board member yeah. in the West Midlands um and it didn't take long before I was chair of the West Midlands advisory board and then they asked me to to chair the uh, national um and and really that just really is is a is a, a um what's the word It's a springboard it's it's a way of getting information channeled from their membership back to government they write right, okay. their policy and, and ask the what are the big asks of both current government and as we sit here today potentially a new government yeah um with a new color coming in um at some point later this year um and they are very good at it but they can only be good as their members voices so the idea of the advisory board is is to steer them in yeah. the best way to get that and also draw out that advice from the membership which is done through this reasonably elaborate way of of they've got regional advisory boards that then all report into the national one right um, okay and i i walked into a national board which um had a lot of the scars of um uh the pandemic hmm. where they got they got people sort of, um, it was just diluted what it was trying to achieve, what it was trying to do. And they asked me to, to come and help them um, with it. And we're in the process of, of um, streamlining that, I suppose, and, and trying to improve it as I, as I try yeah. and do everything I, I take on. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a very powerful organisation and they're making big impacts yeah. in government, the time when it's very difficult to get your voice heard for money, um, to be quite frank
0: yeah absolutely and it's 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 needed isn't it you know um uk manufacturing uh, like most sectors uh, really struggled through the pandemic and i suppose without the the support of of organisations like mate uk it could have been much much worse than, than than what it was you know many businesses have been able to survive and and actually thrive through the sort of support that they're that they're able to give, so okay, thank you for sharing that without wanting to get too political um I, you know I, I i don't i don't know enough about politics to do a a politics show anyway but um in in terms of what might happen moving forward what 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 is i guess you've probably already answered this question in a way uh your prediction for the future role and support of u k government in manufacturing will depend on who we get, i suppose. Will we get an industrial strategy? Will, will we get a Minister for Manufacturing? What, what do we need government to do, uh, uh, you know, regardless of who it is?
1: I think the foundations of a cross-party industrial strategy, whatever you want to call it, are yeah. absolutely vital yeah. for the success of our sector. Um, and that we're getting some traction on that, but it's yeah. not there yet. Yeah. I think what manufacturing needs... Or the sector needs is stability so less change the better once we got it on an even keel and i have to say whatever you think of 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 government and i'm not a particular big fan of our current government but make uk and the support they've sorry the policies they've driven for last awesome statement actually had some quite significant breakthroughs in in recognition for manufacturing and therefore the funding associated with it what we don't want to see is that falling away if we change if we change to a different party government yeah. um so it's important to lobby both of the big parties and that's that's what Mate uk are trying to do because an industrial strategy that's cross-party will underpin what we need and where the problems are yeah um and anyone can act on that as it goes through um you want me to tell you what the main ones are? I suppose I can't speak for everyone because everyone's got slightly different challenges, mm-hmm. but um demand and um stability in demand is is a is a big one for us, which means okay. we need some certainty, we need some confidence, we need, you know, um, you know, our customers need to feel confident that they can invest in the UK. And and it's a great place to to invest and in a yeah. safe place. To invest um environmental net zero whatever you want to call it whatever you term that as that's a big challenge um and that was thrown out there of what we've got to do and then very quickly it's it looks like both the parties are, are changing their mind on the importance of that and how mm. much money is in it and what the targets are for it that has quite big effects yeah on investment decisions by our customers and our customers are all investing in those things. Yeah. And, and that might lead to more or less business depending on if they invest now or later. Yeah. Uh, and then consumer habits change. So you've seen what's happened to EV car sales yes. as a result of pushing out the drive for a net zero. So all of that has a net effect. So it comes a little bit back to stability, but but you know around that, um, costs, input costs, again, big challenge for the industry. We're not competitively making our own energy yet. We need to compare us against most other countries and we're uncompetitive yeah. generating our own energy. We want to be energy independent. We've got to do it in a way that's that's commercially viable. Um, my energy costs jumped from 100 grand a year to half a million a year. And we've managed to get it back down to about 200, 250,000. Okay. Um, uh, but that's not for another six months um so we are you know that's that's the sort of scale of it and we're not a big energy user so there's a big challenge Uh, and all our other costs you know input costs raw material um wages you know all the inflationary pressures you see that's another big challenge so i could go on forever really but there's there's a lot of challenges but those for me would be my sort of top four um and that needs to be underpinned by a nice long-term slow beat support and strategy that we with we, the government and, and industry can plan to and we have yeah.
0: absolutely so we, we all need to be uh you know carrying on talking about it and uh you know asking for it as a lot of people you see it on linkedin all the time which is great you know we we need we need an industrial strategy there's a lot of people yourself included you know championing uk manufacturing and what what we actually need so look, looking forward to the the rest of the year then rowan uh any important dates or any anything either on the brand hour man group or uh the make uk calendar that's of significant importance for for our listeners to you know to look out for
1: yeah i mean there's lots going on um so the design and make day that i talked about um yep. that's planned in july Okay. Again, details available on the Man Group website. And um, Make UK are um, there imminently. I think it's the 27th of February. Again, if you go on the website, you'll get that confirmed. Is their manufacturers' conference in yes. London? Yeah. I've been three times to that, and I can thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it. Not least of, of which they have great speakers, but the networking yeah. that goes on is, yeah. is unbelievable um and then i think probably a- another really good one to get other manufacturers involved with is their national manufacturing day okay. and that goes on that goes on in september again if you look on their website and that's about opening up your factories for young people to come yes. and get a connector. yeah um and uh, we every year we have um we actually extend it we, we do it from august to september over a two month period Okay. We open our doors for family members to come and do um, work experience, paid work experience at the factory yeah. for up to four weeks, um, and uh, it gives us an extra pair of hands. Um, but it also gives tasters for what it's like, what life's like in in a, in a advanced manufacturing facility as well. And it works really well. And I I bury that in under the remit of, of manufacturing uh, National Manufacturing Day.
0: Brilliant. So lots to look forward to then throughout the year. And of course, we've got all the different exhibitions, as usual, the, you know, the trade exhibitions throughout the year. So uh, lots to look forward to. Well, Rowan, it's been a real pleasure to, uh, to to speak to you today on Insights for Manufacturing. Thank you very much for coming on. And, and congratulations once more on your recent MBE. Um, well, you know, it's not just a fantastic personal achievement, and it is. But what a great advert for you know what what can be achieved and you know shining a spotlight on UK manufacturing as a whole. So um, yeah, thanks for doing whatever you're doing. It's uh, you know having a good knock-on effect on on the the wider industry. Hopefully,
1: I'm still getting used to it, if I'm <laughs> honest, Jeff. But I, I'm absolutely staggered to get it, um, but honoured to get it as well. And yeah. and like you say, if it can if it can just sort of recognise or promote another person to come into manufacturing and 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 get as excited and passionate as i do about it then it's done its job for me and there was more than one of us recognized in this this new year's honors list in the manufacturing sector um and that was nice to see as well um and i knew one or two other people who, who who tirelessly um drive to promote it and attract people into it and tell people that it is alive and kicking yeah so it needs you know hopefully if that's all it does as well as make me very happy and proud then <laughs> I'm, I'm happy
0: well let's hope we you know it's a trend that we see more moving forward you know more people from industry uh, you know getting recognized in the new year's honors awards brilliant <laughs> okay well that that wraps up today's episode. I uh, hope you've enjoyed our discussion thanks again to rowan crozier ceo at c Brandauer thank you for listening and look out for the next episode of insights for manufacturing. See you next time. And bye-bye.